Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, it's me. I'm all on my own EO. Because I've got vertigo, I woke up at three o'clock this morning and I turned over and voila, it was like I was on a bloody roller coaster. To anyone who's had vertigo or labyrinthitis, it's like waking up with the worst spinny, well, going to sleep with the spinnies, but without having had the, the night out. And it's really shit. Um, so I've taken to my bed. And I'm lying here with all my notes around me like, hey, do you remember Bubbles Devere, that character that was like a spoof on Barbara Cartland? That's what I look like. But I thought that I would, as I can't go anywhere, because I'm meant to be going, well, I am going, but not today, to my friend's uh, birthday in the Cotswolds. But I can't travel like this um, because it just makes me feel so sick. So I've got to sit looking straight ahead, not looking um, right or left at all. Um, and so I'm just putting that down there. Hang on a minute. Oh, God. Right. Um, but thank you to my regular listeners of, well, our regular listeners of Juicy Crack, because um, it's really making a difference to us, and you seem to be liking the content. And as I say, I never know one week to the next what I'm particularly going to talk about. Um, but... The reaction and the response through your emails has been really, really encouraging and very, very touching. And I thank you very much for that. But one of the recurring themes that people seem to want to hear about is my childhood. And I've always said I had what I would deem and what my sister would deem is a very happy childhood. Wasn't perfect, but nothing, nothing is. But in all my, um, people that I've seen over the years because of my my depression illness and everything, they always try to make something out of childhood. And I know that there are so many scars that kids have in childhood that never go away. I get that. But my depression was nothing to do with my childhood, which was which was really very, very loving. Um I came into the world on May the twenty second, nineteen fifty eight, and I was born um, at Tynemouth Hospital, which is now Tyne and Weir. And my mum and dad were just 22 years old. And um, I wasn't um, planned 
I didn't quite know the origins of my conception until I was much, much later. But it had caused quite a stir um, in the in the family because mum and dad were so young and they weren't married and dad was at university. So to my middle-class grandfather, this was not at all good. And it was pretty hard on my mum, I think. She was from a sort of Irish Catholic working-class background. Um, my grandmother, um, uh, Margaret O'Brien, was a housewife. And uh, my granddad um, had been a footballer in the days when footballers didn't earn much money. So granddad uh, was actually called um, Jack Ridley, but because he lived in Mickley, they called him Mick. And he played for uh, Reading, QPR and Man City all at uh, di different times. But um, I think there was a little bit of snobbery with my grandpa, not with my nana, who was my dad's mum. My nana was a lady, Sarah. She was just, you know those women that just ooze class? She just always looked gorgeous. She always had a beautiful sort of tapered pencil skirt and jacket and always had a lovely bag. And I can always remember the smell of her, you know, that sort of rouge smell. And um, my grandpa, I love my grandpa, but he was, uh, he was very, very strict, very strict. Um, he spoiled my dad rotten. My dad was the youngest of three. There was David and Cynthia. Um, David, we lost a few years ago. Auntie Cynthia, oh God, my sister and I loved our Auntie Cynthia. She again was just, if there was a, if there was any group that needed help, you know, if there was a depression group or a, or a cancer group or anything, Auntie Cynthia was always at the forefront of it. She then went off with my Uncle David, her husband, to Kenya for many years and they taught in schools in Kenya and that's where she found her solace and that's where she found her home. Two kids, they had uh, Liam and Karen, our, um, our cousins. Um, my Uncle David had uh, Amanda and Martin on that side of the family and um, we saw a lot of each other growing up. So when I was born, Nana and Grandpa had a big house on the seafront at Colourcoats, which is near Whitley Bay. So you go Whitley Bay along to Colourcoats and then to Tynemouth. And they had this um, big house looking over the sea at Colourcoats. Whenever I feel low, I drive to that house on a little tour of the north, northeast, and to our other house as well. But my sister and I always go on this um, trip down memory lane whenever we feel a bit low. And... um. When dad was in hospital up there in 2021, I spent quite a bit of time just walking along that seafront because it's still one of the most lovely stretches in um, in the northeast for me. So, um, so yeah, so there was this big house on Beverly Terrace and Nana and Grandpa lived in the middle section of it on like what you would, on the first floor. On the ground floor, Auntie Cynthia lived, had lived and did live sometimes with them, um, with my cousins, Corin and Liam, in the flat down there. Then there was another sort of, I guess what you would call a bedsit type of thing. And when I was born, my little grandma lived there, who was my great grandma. And any of you who um, watch Loose Women will hear the girls sometimes refer to me as Denzi. And the reason that that nickname stuck um, is because my little grandma couldn't say Denise. She tried with all her might and she couldn't say it. So she called me Denzi. And we just said, left it at that. Apparently they just gave up trying to get a teach her how to pronounce it. So it, Denzi it was. 
And it was a nickname that I didn't have for years until I was reminded of it in my later years. I told them at Loose Women once. And after that, I just became Denzi. And um, to to, to most, of, most of the girls there. And even when the new girls come in, like Charlene, which is not that new now, but she just automatically calls me Denzi. So I really, uh, I really quite like it now, but that's why. The other thing is my little grandma, I do remember, well, whether I remember or whether it's just I've been told, I'm not sure. I do remember, I have got a memory of sitting in a high chair in little grandma's flat. I do definitely have a memory of that. But I used to hate anybody else making me eggs because he used to say, I want crunchy eggs, I want grandma, crunchy eggs, because she used to leave the shells in, because she was nearly blind, she couldn't see. And I used to hate anybody else making me eggs because they weren't crunchy. So, um, so yes, so little Denzi started life um, in uh, colour coats. And then, so, so like I said, the, those were the flats on the ground floor. Then there was Nana and Grandpa's flat on the middle floor with these beautiful bay windows looking out. Um, God, I have such vivid memories of that flat, looking out onto the seafront. And then upstairs again on the top floor was a little attic flat. Now, in my child's memory, that flat was quite big. It was like a normal size flat. And I can remember I had a toy cupboard and, I, and my, one of my first memories is coming out of the toy cupboard and seeing my mum sitting on my dad's knee and screaming hysterically. Why? I don't know. What's wrong with seeing your parents showing love to each other? They were only bloody 25 by then. Well, not that there's any age to stop showing love to each other, but I came out and I remember seeing mum on dad's knee and she was wearing a cut-off, um, what do you call them, capri pants. And uh, she had short, urchiny hair. She was dead stylish, my mum. And sitting on my dad's knee, and I went hysterical. And apparently I used to cry. If my mum and dad, if mum sat on dad's knee, if my mum wore trousers, obviously an odd child. Um, but mum and dad, you know, they didn't have any money. Dad had had to, well, grandpa had insisted that dad left university to work in the family firm when mum was pregnant. This is what had happened. So um, the family firm was Welsh's. Sweeties. Anybody from the northeast of a certain age will remember Welsh's toffees, right? So there was two firms. There was my grandpa's firm, which was on Laburnum Avenue in Whitley Bay next to the police station. By God, if you turned into Laburnum Avenue, you um you smelt the toffee. God, I remember that vividly. And um that was John W. Welsh and Sons, right? And that was the factory that made you know, when you go in the shop and there's the boiled sweets and there's the jars of toffee and you go, could I have a quarter of that and a quarter of that? Those those sweets. Well, that used to make that. And they used to make this toffee called super butter toffee. And it was absolutely delicious. And I used to go um, to the factory on a Saturday morning because my dad often had things to do, paperwork and stuff at the factory. Um, and so Debbie and I would go, well, Debbie wasn't, you know, by the time Debbie was born, she's three years younger than me. We would go to the factory on a Saturday morning and the girls would be working there on the machines. And um, it, you just can't believe how sort of, not primitive, that's not the word, but how simple these machines were. And my grandpa, John William Welsh, he invented the black bullet, the rolled mint. The nearest you'll see now as Jasmona do a rolled mint, but my grandpa invented the black bullet. And the and the um it used to come out like in a long sausage, and the girls used to cut and roll. I always do the actions, even though you can't see me. Cut and roll, cut and roll, cut and roll. They always do the actions. And I can remember. Um, with the black bullets, and they used to call me truly scrumptious. Do you remember from um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? 
truly scrumptious. You're really, truly scrumptious. And then there was the other one about the sweets. Toot, sweet, toot, sweet. The sweet that you whistle, the whistle you eat. And um, the school would often, not often, I remember it twice, um, but it maybe happened more, where they would ask my dad if they could do a school visit. And of course, I thought it was great, didn't I? You know, when the kids would come and visit and it was my dad's factory. Well, my dad was actually just a glorified rep for the company, to be honest. But uh, he he didn't enjoy working there because he was too intelligent. He was, he'd was he been training to be an accountant. I don't think he would have been happy being an accountant either. Um, or even that good at it, to be perfectly honest. But um, it didn't really stretch him. Uh, being a sales rep, but it your needs must. You know, he had a kid and then he had another kid. And so he had to, um, and mum had stopped working to have look after us. So he had to bring the pennies in. And so the family business, it, it, it was. But he used to throw himself into his social life as a result of that. And that's where Raquel was born. That was where um, my dad's drag act started because he was obviously not getting any kind of... Um, particular pleasure or, uh, God, my vocabulary today. It's this bloody vertigo. It didn't turn him on working at the factory. So he threw himself into his social life and he they got invited to a party. So they were probably only about in their early 20s. They got invited to a fancy dress party. And so they decided that dad would go as a woman and mum would go as a man. Well, not really a man. She had a leotard on, she had fantastic legs, fishnet tights, um, a bow tie and a bowler hat and a little sort of Liza Minnelli short haircut. So she looked amazing, but that was her attempt at being a man. Dad, on the other hand, mum dressed him in a shift dress. Remember the 60s shift dresses, this blonde wig that was styled, a headband and mother did his makeup. And my dad was what you would have called a very pretty young man. And I've seen the photos. He looked bloody gorgeous, to be honest. He looked gorgeous better than a, probably a lot of the women at the party. Anyway, they went to this party and dad being dad, he uh, had everybody in hysterics telling a few daft jokes and singing a few songs at the piano. He couldn't sing, but someone was obviously playing and he was singing along. And people started to then say, oh, Vin, would you come as a woman to our party? Would you come dressed as a woman to our party? And because our surname's Welsh and because of Raquel Welsh, she was massively famous at the time, Raquel was born. And um, was a highlight and a bane of my bloody life all the way through. Because Raquel still existed till pop, Pops popped his clogs. Just didn't look quite as gorgeous in his latter years. But he still loved it. He loved the attention. Um, I asked him once, you know, Dad, do you think because you do enjoy the whole thing of drag and everybody associates it with um, usually with men, men in drag being gay? And I said, because, you know, if you had any gay leanings, you know, it wouldn't be a problem to us. And he said, no, honestly, he said, I love your gay friends. I love being with, you know, all people, but gay people. He loved the sort of being around the gay scene with us when we'd go to clubs and whatnot. And he just loved the attention he got in, in drag. And uh, he he loved it. But that was that that was him. Um, and mum, she wasn't as out there but she enjoyed seeing the you know see, seeing she enjoyed seeing the effect that dad had on other people it was funny you know because mum and dad fought like cat and dog they did they, they argued a lot and debbie and i used to hate them arguing and um 
and they were very vocal even if there was people around, which I never think is a good thing. But Dad had a really quick temper, but then it would be forgotten and he would wonder why everyone thought he was a wanker. Nobody was speaking to him. But um, but the, they had a love for each other and, and Mum would always be moaning about Dad. But if ever she was out, she'd always be checking her phone and looking at the door to see if Dad was there. So they sort of, um, they they had an an odd relationship but they really did have a lot of a lot of love for each other um and um so yes so that was where i lived until i was 3 and then when i was 3 we moved to um monk seaton it's a little town outside whitley bay and um we bought a house there in woodley road monk seaton and we well we i thought we'd move to a mansion um it's funny because that's another one of our trips on memory lane. We always drive past Woodley Road and we look at how small the garden is. And that to us was like, it was like a, you know, a, a bloody playing field, you know, in our, in our child's, child's mind. And this laburnum tree, which is really not that big. Again, child's view, it was absolutely huge. But such happy memories of that house. And then Debbie came along at three. And when I was three... And again, an earlier memory as if mum walking down the walking down the drive. Well, in my mind, it was a drive. It's a path. And I loved that baby. And mum, very cleverly to avoid jealousy and conflict, she sort of allowed me to be a little mum, you know. And I felt like I was, um, well, it was like having a real life doll, a real life tiny tears. And um, I, I, I loved my, my sister. And... Um, and that was that was it, and it's remained me and Debbie. My mum went on to lose four children. We didn't know about three of them because the miscarriages happened quite early, so we'd never known about the pregnancy. But the one that we did know about was when I was nine and Debbie was six. And I remember, you know, I remember seeing mum pregnant. I remember the excitement of the baby coming, the prospect of the baby coming. And then I remembered the morning, Dad called us into the living room and I, we were wearing our skating dresses because we used to go to the Saturday morning skating at uh, Whitley Bay Ice Rink. And Dad told us that the baby wouldn't be coming home because, well, it, we didn't understand at the time, but Mum had had a stillbirth. There weren't the scanning machines, there wasn't the equipment and um, it would have been a brother and he would have had hydrocephalus, which is like water on the brain. But um, my mum had gone to full term, and that was hard. That was hard. So anyway, I'm spinning a bit with this vertigo, so I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to resume in a bit. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So, yeah. Uh, my brother would have been called Christopher Lorne. And um, I've always loved that name, Lorne. And uh, L-O-R-N-E. Um, but the love of the name was, was my love. It wasn't shared by Tim when we had the children. Um, anyway, so life went on. And um, yeah, we just used to have... A lovely time. I mean, it was in the days when there was no sort of, God, when you think about it, health and safety and things in the car. I mean, I remember going on holiday with mum and dad's friends, Gwen and Mike. And I think dad had a, was it a wool, a Woolsey car? A Woolsey? Yeah. Um, and, um, or was it an Avenger? Isn't it funny? JFT 836H. I can barely remember my own number plate now and I can remember my dad's. EFT383F. I think that was the one on the Woolsey. EFT383F. I didn't even know I could remember that. Bizarre how your mind works. Anyway, going off to Spain on a holiday and mum was in the front of the car and she would have her players untipped cigarettes and she would always have to travel with a box of beech nut chewing gum. Like a wholesale box, you know. She'd have a wholesale box of beech nut chewing gum that we used to get from the shop, McConville's and McAvoy's at the end of the road. And um, she would have a beech nut chewing gum. She'd have Wrigley's if she couldn't get beech nut, but she'd have a cob on if Dad didn't get a beech nut. And she'd have her fags. And Mum and Dad, obviously Dad driving, Mum in the front. Me, Debbie, Gwen and Mike in the back, travelling all the way to Spain. Um, oh my God, I've got a memory of waking up in France. They were, they'd obviously stopped to go in and um, have something to eat and Debbie and I were fast asleep outside in the car and nearly pooing myself waking up. I mean, it just wouldn't happen now, would it? But it was just, they were just the days. And there was a holiday when, when we went to France, we went to Brittany and I don't think it was the holiday with Gwen and Mike, I think it was another time, and we had a Sprite Alpine caravan. And if anybody remembers those caravans, they they were sort of like a blueprint caravan and they all had the same sort of orange curtains and everything. Anyway, so we had a Sprite Alpine caravan and we parked it on a caravan site and we went down. I must have been, I was only about six. And I mean, I haven't got great recall of childhood memories, if, you, if you're thinking that. It's just these are the odd times that I do remember quite vividly. And um, so we were on the beach and mum or dad had forgotten the camera. And literally the, car the caravans, you could see them, they were just up this tiny little sand dune. And I said to mum, I'll go. And she said, do you know where it is? I said, yes, it's just there, this little, little, little girl. And so I went up the sand dune and 
I got lost. And I can remember the fear of being lost and everything looking the same. This whole sea of Sprite Alpine caravans. And the next thing I remember was this man who in my mind was like, as if you would draw a French person when you were little with a stripy jumper on, a scarf and a beret. I mean, he probably wasn't so stereotypical then, but in my mind he was. And he took me to a lost property office. And I can remember sitting on the side with my legs dangling over and my dad arriving and me being so thrilled to see my dad. And my dad was talking to the guy in French. And this is one of those stories where I can understand somebody going, oh, yeah, oh, God, yeah. I swear on my life, right? My dad used to speak fluent French. He was very good. And not not for years he hasn't, but in those days he spoke really quite fluently. And he was talking fluent French to this guy. This guy was talking fluent French back to him. And dad said in English, Whitley Bay. And this guy went, Whitley Bay. This guy had lived in France for 30 years. He was from near Whitley Bay in the northeast. And he had found me flailing around at this caravan park. Can you believe it? That's one of my first memories. We love hearing your comments. So if you listen to this podcast, I'd love it if you could leave a little review at the end of it because it really does help us get it out and push it forward. I'm loving doing it. And from the responses, you're enjoying listening to it. So if you can, leave a little review. I'd be really grateful. Thank you. We never flew anywhere. We always sailed and we just had some absolute belter holidays. The other memory that my sister and I both have is because my dad never swam, never till the day he died, never swam. Just couldn't do it. Used to do all the actions, had the lessons, just used to go straight down. So whereas um, Debbie and I always know exactly where our fear of water comes from because we weren't exactly, we didn't exactly have man from Atlantis as our dad. Um, so all of the other dads would be out in the sea or in the pool, you know, sort of splashing around with the kids and chucking them in and everything. And my dad would be sat on a rock near the beach with Disney armbands on. Yeah, so it didn't exactly, you know, instill you with uh, with much confidence. Um, anyway... It's quite hard to sort of do a, a brief a brief autobiography here. But um but yes, so mum and dad always included us in everything. Even when we lived in the tiny flat that I t- told you about at the top of my nana and grandpa's house, they never just went out and left us with babysitters and whatever. That flat became party central. Mm. Um and I I, you know, vague memories of 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 lots of music and lots of people around. And I think that's what made me a sort of a, a party person to a degree is that the house was always um full of full of people. But um but yes, yeah, so so we were always we were always included in everything and we always had a great time. When I was um eleven, I passed my eleven plus, which we did then, and um 
I was meant to go to the local grammar school, but mum and dad thought that it wasn't going to be right for me. I think they thought it was too big and the classes were too big and I'd probably get in with a crowd and whatever they thought. So there was a deal on if you had been baptised Catholic, christened Catholic, and I was to appease my grandma's side of the family, but never brought up as a Catholic, never brought up as a Catholic. Um, so I didn't know really anything about the, the religion, but La Sagesse Convent in Jesmond, there was a deal on. <laughs> if you were Catholic, there was a deal on at the school. You could get a half price deal at this school, this private school. And so off I went with the, the whole uniform and the velour private girl's hat and oh my goodness me. And I used to go on, on the train and the bus to school. I mean, honestly, when I think about it, so I was 11, when my kids were born and my kids were 11, my mum wouldn't let them out the lounge. Oh, Denise, where they're going? They're out the front door. It's like, mum, they're at the farm. It's okay. You know, he's, he's 10 or whatever. And when I think I used to just get waved off in the morning, isn't it funny how things change? And I used to go go and get this train from Monkseaton Station and then a bus across town to Jesmond. Wow. Anyway, I went to this school and I didn't have a clue what to do. I didn't know what a Hail Mary was. I didn't know how to take communion. I'd never had a first communion. I mean... And I just had to learn as I go. I mean, I don't even know if that's allowed, but I did. And I was fuming with my parents. I can hear my Geordie accent coming back because I'm talking about Newcastle. Oh, that's another myth as well. I never had a broad Geordie accent. Everyone sees me on telly sometimes and they go, where's her Geordie accent gone? I never, ever talk like this, like, do you know what I mean? Never. And so recently I found a clip of something I did at Tyne Tees when I was 23 years old. And um, I didn't have any trace of a Geordie accent, but I do pick up bits of it when, um, when, when I go home or when I'm talking to Geordies or even talking about Newcastle, clearly. So I went to uh, La Sagesse convent for two years and I hated it. Yeah, I hated the travelling. I hated the fact that I was always five minutes late in the morning. I got reprimanded every single time I went to, 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 to you know, do the register, even though I told them I couldn't physically get there uh, be, before that. I didn't enjoy an all-girls environment. I remember Lorraine and um, Veronica. They were my two mates from there. Um, and in fact... I did see Lorraine after all those years when I did my This Is Your Life. I'd lost touch with Veronica. Um, but they were the only two girls I can remember from there. And I just didn't, I didn't enjoy the travelling and I didn't enjoy just being girls. So I begged and begged and begged, could I go to concert grammar school? And because uh, we'd moved, that's right, we'd moved from the Whitley Bay area to um, Shotley Bridge, County Durham, so that mum could go back to work at um, Pridor Hospital. And um, and so we'd moved over there and the, the new friends I'd met had gone to concert grammar school. So I begged and begged and begged. So when I was 14, I started at concert grammar school and it changed my life, basically. Well, it changed the trajectory of my life because um, I was never very turned on by schoolwork. I was lazy. 
I was much brighter than my exam results ever showed because I was lazy and nothing really turned me on until they were casting a play called Finian's Rainbow. And um, if you ever saw the film, it was Fred Astaire and Petula Clark. Anyway, I don't remember how I came to be involved, but I remember Terry Cudden, the drama teacher, telling me that I was going to be in it. And um, I got the part of Susan the Silent, who danced her way through the story. And at the end, she had one line, which was, I love you. And on the second night, I dried because I was taking too much notice of other things going on. Anyway, that was like, you know, when people say a light goes on in, in, and um, it was like my life changed. I'd found something that not only I loved, but that I was good at and I got praise for. And the next show that I did was I was cast as Abigail in The Crucible. And, oh God, I lived for rehearsals. I just lived for rehearsals. And then I remember when the, when the school play was on, um, I had to go into um, in, into the sort of final lesson with sort of like rags in my hair for the curls. And we used to have to leave halfway through the last lesson. And, oh God, I just remember the excitement. Anyway, I played Abigail in The Crucible and... I was um, I was obviously quite good in it and it was praise that I'd never had before and the headmaster asking to see me, to compliment me and stuff that I'd never had with anything academic. But funnily enough, because the school I went to, which was concert grammar, then Black Fine Secondary, now not there at all, I, um, I didn't ever think beyond teaching drama. So when we were 17 and... Um, I'd done various school plays and I was about 17 and we started to apply for for colleges. I was applying for teacher training college and I remember I wanted to go to Alsasia College near Crewe because that's where my friend Jill was going. And um, Jill uh, Hewitson was my best friend at school and she was going to Alsasia and that's where I wanted to go so I applied there. And then my dad and my drama teacher Terry said to me, why don't you apply to drama school? And it wasn't even something that I'd considered. Of course, when I got to drama school, I realised I was in the minority. All of the other parents had been going, oh my God, why don't you get a normal job? Why don't you be a teacher? Mine were the other way around. So my dad was in amateur dramatics and he was working with this actor called John Barber. And uh, his son, Paul Anthony Barber, who went on to marry... Glynis Barber of Dempsey and Makepeace fame. Um, he was at Mountview Theatre School in North London. And so I didn't apply to any others. I applied to Mountview Theatre School. I got an audition. And I remember my mum and dad taking me down to London, dropping me off outside. The theatre in Crou was in Crouch End then. And um, me sitting on a bench waiting for my turn, so terrified. Anyway, I walked in, I did my audition. I can't remember what I did, but you had to do a Shakespeare piece and a modern piece. And then they picked me up and we went home. And when I got the letter to say, you have been accepted to Mountview Theatre School, I, I could not believe it. And I actually rang the drama school to see if they'd, you know, that this was, a, this was kosher, there was no... Um, that this was absolutely 
verified because my name, did I, I can't remember if I said this, but when I was uh, named, christened, my name is Jacqueline Denise, okay? My mother, she'd been to Blum and Watt, Calais twice, and she had this French thing going on. And so she thought that Jacqueline Denise were two lovely French names, but the Jacqueline Denise flowed better than Denise Jacqueline. Right, can you believe it? And um, so it's been the bane of my life because I was brought up as Denise because they wanted to call me Denise, but put the Jacqueline in front. So there's been times when people have been going, Jackie, Jacqueline, Jacqueline, and I have no what they're talking about. Anyway, because it had Jacqueline Denise at the top of my letter from Mountview, I'm thinking, oh my God, they've got me mixed up with another Jacqueline. It's not me. Anyway, I phoned and it was me and the rest is history. I was absolutely over the moon. Well, especially because it meant that it was an unconditional offer as well. So I didn't have to get any A-levels. And um, so I failed my history. I got drama. Well, it was drama OA level we had then. And off I went to drama school. And um, and that was it. I did three years at Mountview, made some great friends. Um, loved a lot of it, hated a lot of it was thinking of leaving in the second year because I just didn't want to... I didn't buy into the bullshit side of um, drama training. I didn't want to be a tree. I didn't want to stand with my hands, not touching the other people's and other people going, oh, my God, I feel this amazing energy and all of that kind of stuff. It just wasn't for me. I just wanted to get the play, rehearse it and put it on. Um, And I also... I didn't used to revere the classics in the way that some people did. I didn't really have any desire to do the classics. I wanted to do more contemporary stuff. But one day we had this teacher called Chris Gilmore and um, he'd given us a piece of Greek tragedy to do. And I had to do this piece where I was sort of doing it and wailing over my my dead son and, and crying and everything. And I produced real tears and I did it. And, um, and he was going, oh! <gasps> You're wasted in kitchen sink drama, the classics for you, my girl. And I remember thinking, but I didn't find doing that any more difficult than doing, you know, I didn't find doing the classics any more of a stretch. It just, it was quite natural to me, but it wasn't something that my heart was in. I wanted to do the more contemporary kitchen sink dramas. Anyway, um... I left drama school when I was 21. I was out of work for nine months because in those days it was a catch-22 situation. You had to have an equity card to work, but you had to you couldn't work without an equity card. So every uh, repertory company um, or children's theatre company in the country used to have two equity cards to give every year. So you can imagine how many people leaving drama school wanting equity cards that was. And... Um, So I was nine months out of work. I was waitressing. I was stuffing envelopes because I didn't ever do a secretarial course. So I was always in the clerical department. I was working in the hospital's clerical departments. Um, You were signed up with several uh, sort of temp agencies, you know. And uh, and that's just what you what you did. Um, I had to earn some money, and um, you know, mum and dad had helped with my grant, but that that was that. Then I had to be out on my own, and so I was out of work for nine months. But then I'd somehow managed to secure a little job teaching dance. I'm not even a dancer, teaching dance to kids to the Saturday kids at Watford Palace Theatre. Again, I have no idea how that happened, and. Um, and they, they told me that they had 
an equity card to give. In the meantime, I had auditioned for Live Theatre Company in the Northeast, of which Tim Healy, my kid's dad, was a founder member. So I had been up there and auditioned with Tim Healy. We didn't get together for years after. And, um, and I was living in a flat. Well, it was a bed sit in Palmer's Green. And outside the door was the joint phone box, you know, where, which, where everybody used. And um, I remember this phone ringing and going to the phone and being told that Live Theatre had offered me an equity card and five minutes later going to the phone and Watford Palace Theatre had offered me an equity card. And, and I had been out of work for nine months and I got offered two within five minutes. But it sort of took the fun out of it because I had to make a decision. Anyway, boy, oh boy, how sliding doors can change things. I chose the London one because I was then going out with a guy in London. And you know what you're like at that age. You don't really want to go away if there's a choice. So I didn't do live theatre company. And subsequently, I didn't work with them for about nine years. But things would have been very, very different in my life if I had so yes, that was that was a little snippet of my um, of my of my childhood. So that kind of takes me up to being about twenty one and my and my first my first job. So if anybody's interested, I will continue doing these sort of little life journeys, I suppose. But right now, um, I'm going to um, I've got to go and pick up my piano that Matty bought me for Christmas. Um, that's been at his house ever since. But I wanted a piano, I wanted a keyboard, so he's got me one and it's been there. So we're going over to pick that up um, and um, getting ready to to go off to Dubai on um, Friday. Lincoln's got some business out there, so I'm going to tag along and have a, and have a holiday. So um, I hope you have a great week and um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to what I can remember from my childhood. All right, then, lots of love. Bye. So guys, if there's anything that you've ever heard me talking about that you'd like to hear more of or indeed anything you can suggest that me, DK and Lincoln can bring to the table, contact me on deniswelshpod at gmail.com and um, indeed if you've got any questions, ask away. We'd love to hear from you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.